So we're going to turn to 1 Kings chapter 7. We're going to read one verse, the last verse there, and then we're going over to chapter 8. And I just want to say that if you find the message boring and simple, you're actually safe. If you find that your seat is warming up, you pay, need to pay attention. Okay. It's not special chairs that they brought in tonight. But if you do find that your seat's warming up, then you should pay attention. And it says here in 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 51, it says, Thus, all the work that King Solomon did on the house of the Lord was finished. And that's key. I want you to, to let that sink in. Because often people don't complete the work they've started. They fall along the wayside. They get distracted, especially in the kingdom of God. People get distracted. They start off well, but they don't finish well because they get distracted. And to read this, it was finished, is key. And Solomon brought in the things that David, his father, had dedicated, the silver, the gold, and the vessels, uh, and stored them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. This chapter 8, verse 1. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes and the leaders of the father's houses of the people of Israel before King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David. And, and, and you can, in a way, simplify that to say, to bring, to usher in the presence of God. All that we're going to speak about tonight is about ushering in the presence of God, which is in Zion. And, and all the men of Israel assembled to, the king, to King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month. Just by the way, some extra information, you don't have to pay for it, it's free. Um, the ark settled permanently the Ark of the Covenant, in the seventh month. The Ark of Noah settled in the seventh month as well. Just a matter of interest. I just love these kind of facts. Um, and they brought up the Ark of the Lord, the tent, and the, the Ark of the Lord, the tent of meeting and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. And the priests and the Levites brought them up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. Now, if you talk about uh, uh, giving at another level, that's um, quite, quite generous giving. Now, if you want to know how generous that was, um, because I'm not going to preach on that, but if you had to go to verse 60, I didn't give it to you, but verse 62, I'll just read it in verse 62 to give you some idea. It says, um, then, king, then the king of Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. Solomon offered a peace offering to the Lord of 22,000 oxen. So they could count at least till 22,000, right? And 120,000 sheep. So when they then say that they couldn't count in here what was offered then it must have been a lot you could easily be, be fooled into thinking it must have been 20 or 30 sheep no 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 
they could count at least 120,000. Can you imagine what they were offering? Okay, so if you're battling with giving, read this a few times, and uh, you'll get the picture of what God wants from you. Then the priest brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread out the wings over the place of the ark, so that the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles, and the poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary. But they could not be seen from the outside, and they, were, and they are there to this day. One of the key verses, verse 9. And there was nothing in the ark except the tablets of stone that Moses put there at Horeb. Where the Lord made the covenant with the people of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And here's what we're actually working towards. And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord. Now, now what we experience here tonight, the presence of God, was just a glimpse of of what it means when the cloud fills the temple. The cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Do you know what I'm praying for? Do you know what my heart's desire is? Is that the glory of the Lord will fill the house of the Lord every time that we're in the house of the Lord. Now you've got to ask yourself, why is that not happening? And that's what we're going to talk about. Because we need to, do, we, we need to look at this and say, you know what? There's, there's nothing actually that you can do to make the presence of the Lord come. And yet, there's a lot that we do that makes the presence of the Lord not come. And I think... You, God wants to speak to some people here tonight very specifically, to very specific individuals about what it is in your life that prevents you of having that experience of the cloud filling the temple. So I'm going back to verse 51 of chapter 7. I'm just going to focus there a little bit. I'm not sure if we're going to get through all of this. What's the time now? Let me just check because I've got the tendency of when I've got a bad clock. <laughs> I've got a cheap watch. <laughs> so, verse 51 of chapter 7 says, Thus, all the work that, the kings, that King Solomon did on the house of the Lord was finished. So can I ask you, that thing that when you got saved and you started following God and God started speaking to you, that thing that he gave you to do. That thing that he gave you to do for him in his kingdom. How far are you with it? You see, because you haven't got a lifetime to work on it. Because after Solomon took seven years to build the temple and complete it, he had 13 years that he built his house. So there was another project. So you didn't have a lifetime. You don't finish what God gave you to do just before you go to heaven. There are things that are outstanding that, are, that hasn't been completed that's holding you back from moving on to the next thing. Um, 
the important thing to, to notice is every time it says, and Solomon completed the temple or he completed this work, it's actually, it's not the full truth. Because Solomon didn't do the work. He was just the visionary. There were other masons and, and artisans and craftsmen that had to complete their work in order for Solomon to, to, to have this accolade given to him that he completed the work. So, so could it be that this Musenberg congregation is waiting to move on to the new thing because you not you haven't completed what God has given you to do and therefore leadership can't complete what they supposed to do because you sitting on the job that gave you to, that God gave you to do if you if you go back to verse chapter 6 I haven't given it I'm just referring to it chapter 6 verse 7 says when the house was built it was it was with stone prepared in the quarry. Now, if you drive to 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 Melbourne, uh, um, where I live, on the is it the N7, you see Durbanville Hills and you see the quarry. It's it's out of town, and and maybe your job was to prepare stone in the quarry for the temple. What it means is nobody will ever know which stone you you chipped out. Nobody will know what it took to prepare the amount of stones that you prepared. Nobody will know how long it took to, to chop that stone, and then when you got to the end, it broke and you had to redo it. Nobody will know the dust that you had to sit in and how it affected your eyes and, and, and how you sometimes worked long hours to get the job done. Nobody will know. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with, with doing work in the quarry so that the temple, the kingdom of God, can be advanced? If you look at um, in chapter 7, a guy called Hiram from Tyre was brought in. And he was, he was brought in because he was a craftsman. He could work with bronze and gold and, and he could make 400 pomegranates. Oh, what a man. But he made 10 labors with water and, and on stands and with oxen around it. The intricate work, they had to bring him in because nobody there could do it. And sometimes that's an indictment on us. That, that in, in, in the local body, in the local church, we need stuff done. But we need to bring somebody in because... We haven't taken the time to become skilled at what God needs in the local congregation. We need, we need to put time in because it shouldn't, actually, we shouldn't be getting outsiders in. We should bring them through. But when there's a lack, we bring them in to help out. Now the other question is, are you a Hiram that can be, that can be drawn by other congregations because you have skilled yourself? To a point where nobody else can do that like you. But once again, it's not for the honor or for the acknowledgement. He just did his work. And in the end, it said, Solomon completed the temple. 
so, so you might be, I mean, I actually realized this today. I was like, way back when I was young, uh, I built a wall for somebody and I laid the bricks and he never paid me. So for a short while, I was involved in Freemasonry. <laughs> but it wasn't so bad, eh? It wasn't so bad. Please, just explain to the person next to you that's frowning at you. <laughs> but here's the thing. You could be, you could, you could have grafted in the quarry, and you could have spent hours making pomegranates, and you will not be accredited with completing the work. You've got to settle that in your heart. And the reason why people are battling is because when will I be acknowledged? We are grasping for acknowledgement. And God's saying, just get on with the work. So, we've got, we've got artisans, and this is where um, accountability comes in. Because can you work in the quarry with the same excellence that you will work when you're in the king's court? Because when the king is watching, you work differently. But accountability means that you work for an audience of one. And therefore, even if nobody sees you working in the quarry, you do it with the same amount of excellence. Because you're not working, you're not doing anything for the acknowledgement of man. We're doing this for God. We live for an audience of one. And often, often it's our downfall that we, we only want to do something when somebody watches us, when somebody's looking. And God wants to make that adjustment in our hearts today. To finish the work. And if you, if you pay attention, Hiram, it says here, um, and Hiram also made the pots and the shovels and the basins. So Hiram finished all the work that he did for King Solomon. That's in, in verse 40 of chapter 7. In order for the, for the temple to be finished, Hiram had to finish his work. And he did within the time allotted. So, so the thing we need to, to, to look at ourselves tonight is that we need to ask ourselves the question, are we delaying the progress of the movement of what God wants to do in this congregation because I've become slack, because I took offense, because somebody didn't say, well done. Now, if that's the case, I want to say, well done. So it's done now, so you can get on. <laughs> well done. Okay, well done, Kasta. Well done. You can move on now because somebody said, well done. But we need to understand the weightiness of what God gives us to do. If it's in the quarry or in the courts of the king. When God gives us something to do, we need to do it. So that the, the words can be said of this congregation and all the work that was given to Musenberg was done. That's what we work towards. So how do we get there? Solomon brought in the things that David had dedicated. You see, when you, it's one thing to finish the building, but you need to furnish the building. And it's how we furnish that will reveal our hearts. You see, Solomon had no problem. He wasn't threatened by the past. 
He had no problem bringing in things that his dad dedicated for the temple. Now, we, 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 we get the, the background to that <clears throat> in verse 18. I'm just referring to it. Whereas it was in the heart of David to build a house for my name. You did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, he shall not build the house, but your son shall be born, that shall, who shall be born shall build the house. So David wanted to build the house. And God said, no, there's blood on your hands. And normally when we get disqualified or when we just get told no, we get offended and we stop doing what we're doing. David, when God said, you've got a wonderful desire to build my, 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 my temple, but David, you've got blood on your hands and you can't build the temple. And he said, can I at least provide the stuff for the temple? And he continued working with a passion for the temple that will be built, although he was told no. Now, now, the reality is that when it comes to accountability, another thing about accountability is culpability. The best way I can disclaim it is blameworthiness. Taking ownership even of the mistakes that you've made. David, David accepted culpability. He accepted ownership for his failures, and he didn't blame God that he couldn't build the temple. He didn't get miffed with, with some of us are botanists. Eh? We have a, we've got a, like a, a whole lot of miff trees. We, we just grow them by the dozen. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. But, but if, if, if what happened to David had to happen to you, if you wanted to be the one, should I, I'm tempted to say, if you had to be the architect that was called to, to design the Joshian building, and God says no. <laughs> Would you stop drawing? Would you leave Joshua? Find another place to go to express yourself. And there might be something, and might be somebody here tonight, and you have dreamt of doing that one thing for the Lord. And God said no. But he said it through your eldership. And now you're upset with your eldership. No, God said no. They just relayed the message. I'm yet to see a man go out onto his pavement when the postman arrives and bring him a letter that he doesn't like and he shoots the postman. Yet we do that in church, eh? We do that in church. And we say, but, but you gave the message. No, no, they're just delivering what God said. God said no. And, and maybe you're sitting here and you've got, you've got issues in your heart. And you need to open your hand and let go of the past. You need to let go. You need to let go of the hurts of the past so that you can hold on to the new thing that God has for you. Just an encouragement that at every level, at some stage you'll be a David, and at some stage you'll be a Solomon. At some stage you'll be starting this thing, but somebody handed it to you. So you're the Solomon. But as you mature, you need to now hand it, be it a youth leader, be it a com, whatever, com leader, whatever it is. At some stage you need to be ready to hand over to the next guy, and then you become the David again. 
And, and the momentum, I always compare this to, to a, 400 meet, a four, four by 100 meter relay race. The guy at the end, when he, when, when Saint Volts runs over the, the winning line and he, he breaks the record, it's not him. It's a team effort. If, if the guy, you know, when the, when the guy on the third leg runs a bad leg or he drops the baton, then everybody looks back at him because now he's at fault. But when, when it goes smooth and we break the world record, then the guy with the baton last like performs as, as if it's him. But that whole win depends on how David hands over to Solomon and Solomon runs and he becomes a David and he hands over to Solomon. And he runs and he, be, and he becomes a David and he hands over to Solomon. So maybe there were things that you built that you, that you were hoping that you will finish. And God's saying, now it's time to hand over now. Then hand over graciously. Hand over while there is momentum. Don't come to a stop and then just chuck the baton down and he's got to pick it up and then run with it. And don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated by the past. I passed leadership. He brought in, he, he acknowledged David's contribution. So when we build, we build including the past with the future in mind. That's how we have to build. Whatever it is, if you build uh, building a youth, you build that well. If you're building an eldership team, build that well. If you're building a comp, you build that well. At one stage, you will initiate, and another stage, you will complete. Sometimes you're a David, sometimes you're Solomon. And resist the temptation to build for yourself, towards yourself, and by yourself. This thing is team, and we'll see it now as we get to, to what Solomon's busy with. Let's just double check there. There we go. So, as we build, even when God says, no, you won't complete it, be secure in your calling. You know, it's hard to be secure when you're not going to get the glory. Because we, we just design that way. We want to get the honor. I mean, I, I used to be a 100-meter sprinter, so I always go back to, to the 4 by 100 relay because that was the, the final thing. And um, I remember, I remember the, the day that I ran my first sub-10. It was just the whole stand was like up. And I came in under 10 minutes. <laughs> it, it was like, run, Clary, run! You see, the, the thing is, we always want that glory moments, and we forget about the, the guy that comes in last, eh? As long as you give it your all. We need to give it your all. And, and, and this thing is like a relay. You run, you hand over. You run, you hand over. As long as you give it your best. And it's a team thing. So, let's come into, I'm going to try and do this meaty part in a very short time, because that's the introduction. Okay, thank you. The whole aim of what, what Solomon did was to restore the presence of God. Everything he did, 
was to restore the presence of God. We actually see it um, in verse 6, it says of, of chapter 8, it says, The priest brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place. There's a place that God needs to take in. And when, when his presence is in that place, nobody makes his presence come. It just happens. I always say that in, when it snows, it can snow anywhere at any time. We think snow happens in the winter. The reason it happens is because the, the right conditions are met for snow to form. But I promise you, snow could fall on the 25th of December year if the right conditions are met. And it's about the, the humidity, it's about the temperature, uh, no wind, and when all the conditions are met, snow just naturally develops. And in the same way, because I want to give you an example, pr practical example, in the same way, frost develops. The natural way frost develops is certain humidity, certain temperature drop, and then frost develops. But where I come from originally, not originally, but for 10 years I spent, uh, 10 years I spent in Worcester, the Durance area, and that's a, a, a grape, a export grape area. And they interfere with the natural development of frost. Because when your harvest is ripe, you don't want frost. It could make you lose about between 50 and 20 million in one year. That's how damage you can do. So what happens? They have found out. At first, I must tell you, I was scared for my life because it, it was a role reversal that I couldn't handle. They burn tires. The farmers burn tires. Right? But they burn it in the vineyards. And the smoke of the smoldering tires prevents frost from developing. It interferes with a natural pro, pro, process of frost developing. And in the same way in the spiritual realm, the smoldering tires in our lives interfere with the natural development of the cloud in the temple. And could it be that as you're sitting there now, God is highlighting some smoldering tires in your life right now. That's preventing the natural progression or the natural process of frost developing, of the Holy Spirit coming and the cloud developing. There might be some smoldering tires that God's highlighting to you now that you'll have to go back to and deal with. Because it's affecting everybody. You might hold on to it as your tire, your favorite tire that's smoldering. might have been a gift that somebody has given you, and you don't want to let go of it, but you need to deal with that tire. And you need to deal with it harshly. So the aim is to restore the temple. And then you see here, and I want, this is the part, even if I just get to this part, this is important. It says, he assembled the elders... All the heads of the tribes, that's verse 1 of chapter 8, the leaders of the father's houses of the people, all the top guys are there. But if you look further down in verse 3, it says, All the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark. 
You see, it wasn't the main guys who, who, brought, who carried the presence of God into its place. It was the royal priesthood. So we often wait. We often wait for the leaders to, to do something so that the presence of God comes. It was the priesthood who carried the presence of God into its rightful place. It's us. You are your peculiar people. You are a royal priesthood. That's us. It's our responsibility. What an awesome responsibility God has given us. So the days of waiting for certain, the, or should I call it the paid professional, to do it. It's, it's over. It's, it's the priesthood that carries in the Ark of the Covenant. So if you haven't been doing that, you have been neglecting your responsibilities. If you don't feel like carrying today, you're holding back the cloud coming down. I hope I'm speaking to somebody. I hope it's helping, helping somebody. And as I said, as they did that, there was extravagant worship. It says they couldn't count. And we, see that they, we saw they could count 120,000 extravagant worship. It lands in the rightful place. And that place, they put this, the, the Ark of the Covenant down between the two cherubim that had been created there and put them down. And, and it's this, almost a replica of the picture of the mercy seat because the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant had two cherubim. And they were facing one another and their wings were touching one another or almost touching. Now it's from that place that God speaks that God spoke to his people. From that, there wasn't a, a, a picture of God or an idol that looked like God. It was an empty space underneath the wings of the cherubim and it was the place that God spoke from and guided his people. And you find the same picture when Jesus rose again and the, the ladies came to the tomb and they saw an angel sitting at the head and sitting at the feet. And there was an empty space in between, and God spoke again. That empty space between the cherubim was God saying, I'm in this. I just spoke again. I rose Jesus from the dead. And once, and here they come, not knowing that it's a prophetic picture they fulfilling, they're putting the, the presence of God underneath the ark, uh, underneath the wings. And us the the I'm, I'm just going to give you a, a little bit of other information here when he says that and there was nothing in the in the ark except the tablets isn't isn't that interesting because for some for a while before this there used to be a jar of manna and there used to be the rod that of Aaron that budded and, and had almonds on it. And, and if you wanted, wondered why it's not here, for me, the picture is the presence of God will come if you've dealt with the fact, you've settled in your heart that he's your provider. You don't need a, don't need a jar of manna to tell you God's going to provide for you. 
you've settled in your heart that God is your provider. You don't need, you don't, I mean, you, some people wear this, 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 this little thingy, WWJD, what would Judas do, you know? Um, and, it, and they do exactly that. They actually do exactly that. But, but you know, when, when there's nothing in the ark, there's, and, and let's look at that picture of your heart. There's nothing in your heart but the tablets, the word of God. You don't need pictures anymore. You don't need emblems to show you that God's going to provide for you. The reason why the rod was not there, you're not, you're, not ha- you're, not, you're not fighting with authority anymore. The reason why they had the rod, because people were fighting about who's going to be in charge. And for us, it's a picture of settle God's provision and settle God's authority and through he, who we will work. We don't need those signs anymore. We just need, there's nothing in the ark but the word of God. It says here, and when the priest came out of the holy place, so, so the priest carried the ark of the covenant and put it down, and they did nothing to make the presence of God come, other than put it in its right place. When they walked out, the presence of God came. Here's the lesson for us. It says here, and the priest could not stand to minister because of the crowd. When, and I say when, I'm not saying if. As we, as we consider God's word and we press into God and we're obedient when we chisel out a stone in the quarry, when we're heating up a piece of metal because we're going to turn it into a pomegranate, when we're working on the woodwork, whatever it is that we are called to do, when we do what we have to do, when we're obedient, that's the word, when we're obedient and the presence of God comes, read this verse over and over. When, when the Spirit of God breaks out in this place, the first scripture you read and you remind yourself of is this scripture. The priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, because what normally happens. Whoever is busy preaching when the Spirit comes wants to continue preaching because now he's the, he's the guy that actually made the Spirit come. When, when God starts dealing with people and you happen to be, to be, to be behind the mic and God starts, and people are falling down and, they, and they, they, they actually encounter God, resist the temptation to carry on speaking because the priest couldn't, when the, when the power of God came, the priest couldn't stand. And if you remain standing, it tells me that you're not, you're not in awe of the presence of God. So when the presence of God do come, and if we're obedient, I believe he will come. Resist the temptation to be the presence, person to take the credit for what God is doing. 